right, guys, welcome to the news part of the show. We have some exciting news coming through the pipeline today, especially news that people are usually familiar with, considering that Michael Saylor, Mr. GigaChat himself of MacroStrategy, has acquired an additional 12,333 Bitcoin for approximately $347 million at an average price of $28,136 per Bitcoin as of June 27, 2023. And so MicroStrategy now holds about 152,333 Bitcoin that they've acquired for approximately $4.52 billion at an average price of 29,668 per Bitcoin. So this most recent purchase from Mr. GigaChad Sailor has just brought his cost basis back below $30,000. Mr. Michael Saylor is somewhat of a moon boy. He bought basically the top all of last cycle, and he would always basically buy the top. He would never buy a dip. I think it was because his board of directors or whoever he had to convince to buy more Bitcoin every time it dipped, they wouldn't give him an approval until it stopped dipping. <laughs> so I think there's some processes that Mr. Saylor needs to put in place perhaps to get better positioning when he does his market buys, but um, this guy, his strategy is sound nevertheless, right? Even though his execution might be a little bit poor, his strategy of dollar cost averaging into one of the most stable assets in terms of the supply, obviously. It's volatile when you measure it in US dollars, which changes monetary policy rather monetary policy rather rapidly, right? And so that's that's kind of makes it wonky. But Bitcoin, I always say it's the only true stable coin, right? Because there's 21 million units in supply. That makes it the only real stable coin. <laughs> if you guys catch my drift, all right? So Mr. Saylor, basically, he's stacking. He pretty much owns most of the Bitcoins at this moment. That's an exaggeration. But we're going to see how much he eventually stacks, right? The firm were down to 1%. Uh, let's see, pre-market trading, mirroring Bitcoin. Yeah. So, I mean, the volatility of Bitcoin is the volatility of mar of MicroStrategy. So if Bitcoin goes down 1%, MicroStrategy goes down 1%. MicroStrategy is, in fact, a regulated way, almost like a de facto Bitcoin ETF. I mean, it's not exactly the best way to put it, but if you want exposure to Bitcoin and something that hugs the price, that follows the price, that tracks the price of Bitcoin pretty closely, uh, MicroStrategy, oddly enough, even though they are like a software like company or like a data analytics company or something like that, I don't even know what they do. Even though they're a company that does something else other than hold Bitcoins, you can <laughs> buy MicroStrategy stock as a way to hold Bitcoin by proxy. And that's kind of what, what he kind of marketed his stock as last cycle. So let's move on to this next article here. BlackRock has 50% chance of getting spot Bitcoin ETF approved, according to an analyst. Bloomberg's senior ETF analyst believes BlackRock has an even chance of getting its Bitcoin ETF greenlit as Grayscale looks um, more likely to win its case against the Securities and Exchange Commission. Investment management firm BlackRock has a 50% chance of getting its spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund approved, according to Bloomberg senior ETF analyst Eric Balchunas. Balchunas 
Prediction comes following an observation made by Elliot Stein, a senior litigation analyst for Bloomberg's intelligence, who now pegs the chance of Grayscale winning its case against the ACC at 70%, right? So there's two different odds there. It's like the Vegas odds, according to this Mr. Balchines, right? Um, you know, he's an analyst, so he's giving you pretty much 50-50 even odds that the uh, Bitcoin ETF gets approved. And then he's giving you 70% chance that the uh, Grayscale case is won against the SEC, right? So will BlackRock ETF be approved and will the Grayscale case be settled, right? Yet to be seen. Let me know what you guys think. Next piece of news here. The FTX bankruptcy team says the exchange owed customers $8.7 billion. Commingling and misuse of customers' funds occurred. Everyone knows that they committed fraud. And uh, pretty much the current CEO, John J. Ray III, a senior and senior executives, uh, knew of all the shortfalls as early as 2022 when it came to all of the ways that the customers' funds were being misused, right? A new report from the FTX team that's digging through the financial guts of the failed exchange says the company owed its customers $8.7 billion after commingling and misusing their deposits, and senior executives started hiding that trouble as early as August 2022, right? So are these people going to get in trouble for hiding it, right? Are they? And at this moment, oddly enough, I know everybody was kind of scrutinizing Sam Bankman-Fried's balance sheet, right? But as of now, <laughs> he basically has, still has uh, $7 billion in liquid assets that have been recovered, right? So they owe $8 billion, $8.7 billion to customers, but they have only $7 billion that they've recovered so far, it says. <laughs> so they still have some private keys to recover in a couch or some beanbag lost somewhere, right? <laughs> and uh, let's see. And those searching the company's assets anticipate additional recoveries. Wow. What do you know? So what do you think? You guys think that FTX is going to, at the end of the day, become solvent when it comes to them recovering funds? And how do you think they're recovering funds? I think it's kind of odd that they keep on finding new money. Like, where do you find money? I don't understand this concept. Maybe I'm a little bit naive or, you know, just uninformed when it comes to this topic of how you could possibly like find additional money. But to me, I mean, I run businesses, I have balance sheets. You don't just like find money and lose money. They're there in bank accounts, right? <laughs> like, I don't understand it. So you're going to have to explain to me um, as a person who's, you know, done many, many books for many different types of businesses, how you just lose money, how you, how you find it, actually. Like, how, where do you find money? Uh, I know, like, you know, de minimis can probably be to the tune of, like, millions in the case of a billions dollars balance sheet. But we're not talking about, like, de minimis in that case. We're talking about, like, you're, you're like, finding billions of dollars. Where did you find that, man? Um, all right, moving on to the next one, crypto miners. Send over $1 billion in Bitcoin to exchanges over two weeks, according to CryptoQuant. Miners usually sell Bitcoin at favorable prices to keep their extensive computing operations running. 
Bitcoin miners have sent over a billion dollars worth of the crypto asset to exchanges over the past two weeks, but not necessarily to sell the tokens. Miners are entities that utilize extensive computing power to solve computing power to solve sophisticated encryptions and produce blocks on the Bitcoin blockchain. Each block rewards six point two five Bitcoin to miners who typically sell the amount to fund or expand operations. In a tweet on Tuesday, analytics firm Crypto CryptoQuant said over 30,860 Bitcoin has been sent to derivatives exchanges, although the majority has since been recovered back to proprietary wallets, right? So kind of a non-event, kind of a nothing burger. This is when on-chain sleuths kind of find something and it turns out to be nothing, right? So I wouldn't view miners dumping at these low prices as very practical. Perhaps they were trying to do something else, right? And it seems like they've deposited to a futures exchange, right? The derivatives exchange, rather. Okay, so that's pretty interesting. Wonder what they were doing. You can draw your own conclusions. Next piece of news. Open source buzzword or real security for crypto wallets. Open sourcing crypto wallet designs offers some benefits, but there are trade-offs as well. Last month, hardware crypto wallet manufacturer Ledger announced its Ledger Recover program designed to allow customers to back up their seed phrases to the cloud and link it to their real world identity. Right. Obviously, that's pretty problematic in terms of the crypto ethos being not your keys, not your coins. And so to give up the ability to recover your keys to a third party just for the purpose of backing it up when you should actually back it up yourself seems kind of like the antithesis to the crypto. But if you're talking about mainstream adoption, not everybody wants the responsibility that comes along with managing your own private keys. And so they might want to entrust a third party service with such things as a backup. In this case, Ledger just came out with an optional program where users could opt in to have their keys recovered in a way where those backups were stored at a third party, which becomes problematic in crypto when you start getting these maxis and these purists attacking the point by saying, look, what if in the very off chance a government or some tyrannical ruler goes to you guys and forces you to extract the private keys via a firmware update? Or what if everyone who's you know, opted into this ledger recover program uh, now is storing parts of their private keys with these third parties. What if these third parties can be compromised in a way that now gives some tyrannical government access to keys just the same, right? So those two different ways became talking points when Ledger came out with this upgrade. Um, but I just think it is a big nothing burger, right? So here it's saying hardware wallets are not 100% secure, right? They're saying no device or software is completely invulnerable to attack. And that's true, right? That's very true, partly because most attacks, right? Most attacks are phishing attacks, they're social engineering attacks, and a ledger doesn't um, protect you from a social engineering attack, right? Because the whole point of a social engineering attack is to gain your trust, and if somebody gains your trust in that way, it doesn't matter if your stuff is on a ledger. You trust them, you're probably gonna just plug in your ledger and approve a transaction, and then your ledger doesn't protect you very much, does it? if you can still plug it in and approve things because somebody social engineered you to do so, right? So that's why hardware wallets aren't as secure, but hardware wallets are in fact secure as long as you use user precautions, okay? So I wouldn't say that, that they are technically insecure. I would say in practice, um, user error is most likely the way that you're gonna, your funds are gonna get compromised, all right?
And also, just so you guys know, when it comes to storing your private keys, another way that user error becomes the reason why people lose their keys is basically they just make their backups too complex. Like let's say you opted into their program, right? That just makes it a really easy user-friendly way to tie your identity so you can prove who you are to these people and then get your keys. But that opens you up to a situation where someone else can prove that they're you in that way, right? Which is problematic, right? So that's like stolen identities, SIM swaps and stuff like that. So that's problematic in that way. Um, but the biggest way people lose access to their funds is just by overcomplicating the process. Let's say you're custodying your own keys and you keep your private seeds in like two different encoded things in three different locations across the world or whatever, right? <laughs> and you overcomplicate it and then you don't f figure out how to like reverse engineer how, how you hid your seed phrase away from the world, right? You can't figure out how you did it and then you end up losing access. Basically, you just lose your password, right? So that's probably the biggest reason why people lose their crypto is they just lose their password. They overcomplicate it, not getting hacked or social engineered. Overcomplicating it is a bigger risk than getting hacked. Next article, KuCoin crypto exchange to introduce mandatory KYC in July. That's pretty big news. KuCoin has been a pretty much like an oasis for non-KYC, right? And because they're going to now start charging KYC, I think it's going to change the nature of KuCoin as a funding wallet for shitcoins. So these types of changes are relevant to the shitcoin space because whenever you have a non-KYC user base that can withdraw funds to an external wallet, that funding source for a shitcoin developer, for someone who deploys a shitcoin contract, that funding source is more risky if it's non-KYC, right? So KuCoin is now going to be upgraded from maybe like a yellow a funding source to maybe like a green funding source where uh, people are less likely to scam you because they've already done KYC with KuCoin. So if they scam you and then you right, uh, basically do a subpoena for the courts to KuCoin, KuCoin is obliged you know, to provide that person's identity to you in order to do a criminal investigation. And if so if somebody provides their information to like Coinbase or whatever, um, they'd be really dumb to go deploy a rug pull from that, right? So they're doing this. It's going to affect on July 15th. And it uh, looks like they still have some ways where you can use it if you're already onboarded, but you won't be able to sign up uh, unless you do that in the future, right? Next uh, piece of news here, Ethereum price won't see 2000 anytime soon, market data suggests. Good old-fashioned FUD article, but this is more or less echoing what I was saying yesterday and over the past couple of days, basically how alts tend to lag behind Bitcoin during this phase of the four year cycle where Bitcoin dominance has its second rip upward and alts tend to not follow Bitcoin. And then when Bitcoin corrects, the alts that didn't have as big of a pump as Bitcoin correct even harder than Bitcoin did. And so there's some other on-train data to suggest that there is some headwinds that Ether price might face, right? So here in the article, it says on June 26th, the federal judge denied a motion from Binance that it could have stopped the United States Securities and Exchange Commission from issuing public statements related to the case in addition to its mid-year outlook HSBC Asset Management's report warned of an economic downturn in the U.S. in the fourth quarter, followed by a year of contraction and a European recession. Okay, so it's basically 
pointing to macro concerns as a headwind. It's pointing to network gas fees. It's pointing to the ETH price rally not supported by derivatives markets, right? And so we have resistance below 2000 remains formidable. Okay, so that's a little bit of an update on the Ethereum price. Next piece of news, we have WorldCoin confirms it is the cause of mysterious safe deployments. What is WorldCoin? I think as I remember what this is, it seems to be the product of Sam Altman, if I'm not mistaken, right? Sam Altman is the same guy who did ChatGPT, right? Is not WorldCoin his coin, if I'm not mistaken? Right. I want to look into this a little bit more, but what this article is mentioning is that Twitter users noticed thousands of safe deployments to optimism, leading to speculation that it may be an attack. But the developer of WorldCoin confirmed that this activity was merely an app migration. WorldCoin is the cause of the slew of safe deployments on optimism over the past week, according to a June 27th social media post from Tiago Sada, head of product for WorldCoin developer tools for humanity. Right. Yeah. So that definitely sounds like it's that Sam Altman thing. All right. So look into WorldCoin. I think it's kind of interesting that it's backed by those kind of big players in the tech industry, um, kind of their way of getting into crypto. All right. So that about does it for the news. Thank you for tuning in to the news.